Here we go. Unreasonable grace and enemies. Does anybody have any enemies? Not us. This sermon's probably for someone else. So we just have to get through it and then we can ignore whatever it says, right? No. In fact, I think that we do. We have a bad habit of dismissing this text as it's unreasonable. So uh, we don't really have to abide by it. That's a problem. Nobody's going to shake their head. They're like, we're just going to wait. Don't respond and see what Brent preaches. And then we'll decide if we're going to agree with him or not. Grace and enemies. Here we go. Uh, following the same format as the previous illustrations. Number one, the offense. So first he's going to explain the Old Testament offense. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor. That's easy. And hate your enemy. That's even more easy. Again, this comes from the law that is given in the book of Leviticus. Uh, at least the first part, love your neighbor. Uh, that part comes from Leviticus. The second part, and hate your enemy. That is actually not found in Old Testament writings. Uh, it's most likely, most likely it reflects the popular opinion at the time rather than actual Old Testament prophetic teachings. It stands to reason that if loving your neighbor was good, then the opposite would be good, right? That hating your enemy would be good as well. Hate those who intend to harm you. Hate those who may have already harmed you. Okay? This is not just logical. <clears throat> it fills an emotional void. Hate fits comfortably in the space where our feelings have been hurt. <laughs> Don't get very many amens on this part of the sermon. Uh, everybody's like... Whatever, Britt. Yeah, hate is very comfortable whenever your feelings have been hurt at someone. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense. It actually resonates in us. That just works. It feels good. Love those people that you like. Hate those people that you don't like or don't like you. That is reasonable. Imagine this in the context of Rome occupying Israel. Because remember, that's the context that Jesus is speaking whenever he does the Sermon on the Mount. So Israel, they just want to be left alone so that they can govern themselves. The Roman emperor, he arrives setting up his own government with his own laws, using Jews as governors to impose not Jewish law, but Roman law on the Jews. The Jews, they have possessed this land and they, they have God's given law. This silly emperor comes along and he has his law. We have God's law. And the Romans overtly live in violation of God's law. Yet the Romans have taken the land of Israel and they have overtly oppressed the Jews, treating them horrible. I would imagine that the Jews wanted to push back a little. 
Last week's text, an eye for an eye, that makes sense. And hate your enemy, that makes sense. The Romans mistreat us, so we should hate them. We should push back against them. The Jews had every reason to hate the Romans. However, the Jews did not only hate their pagan oppressors. For being religious people, because we think religious people are all love one another and love other people, right? For being religious, the chosen people of God, they were a hateful group of people. There were groups of scribes, even the Qumran sect, which thrived on absolute devotion to God and strict adherence to his law. And they, just, they that, was the, that was the core church group people, right? We love God. We're devoted to God. And they despised, they even hated their fellow Jews of less devotion. Can you imagine looking down on those who are less committed or less mature in their faith than you are? That's a horrible thought. It's a very uncomfortable morning. I love it. Yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I love the tension because whenever I get lots of amens, that means you're enjoying it. Whenever I get no amens, that no, and then I know you're absorbing it. I would rather you absorb it. I mean, it's fun to enjoy it, but the Jews, pardon me, the Romans accused the Jews. Now keep in mind who the Romans are, these pagans. They accused the Jews of hating the entire human race. They just hate everybody. Very unlike modern Christianity. This polarizing attitude of loving those you like and hating those different than you has been around for thousands of years. It didn't happen just recently. The standard of offense was failing to love your neighbor. The offense here, because that's my point. What is, what is the offense of the Old Testament? It was to fail to love your neighbor. Now, now how that practically works out, become, it presses the question, it complicates thing, things, is what, is what if my neighbor is my enemy? Do I have to love my enemy? And reason says, well, no, you don't have to love your neighbor if he's your enemy because we hate your enemy. You love your neighbor if you like your neighbor, if they share their sugar with you. If they're your enemy and they won't share uh, what whatever, and they maybe cut down your hedge or whatever, then you hate them. That is reasonable. The complication was, what if the offense is failing to love your neighbor? The complication, what if my neighbor is my enemy, to which the justification was, then hate your enemy. At this point, when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to the crowd of Romans and Jews, Remember, whenever he preaches it, it's a mixed group of people. There's going to be some racial tension here. The expectation was, love those, when Jesus taught this to this group of people, the expectation was, love those who like you, unless you don't like them, and then you can hate them. 
and hate those who don't like you unless you have another reason to hate them and then you can just hate them. My point being is that it seems like hate ends up being the default. Again, not like us at all. And I hope you're understanding my sarcasm. Because sometimes I think I'm very funny being, being sarcastic and then people leave and they're like, I didn't understand what you said. I'm, I, so I have to explain when I'm being sarcastic. Not everybody gets my sense of humor. It's my way of avoiding saying the modern Christianity is very similar to these Jews in this text. Where hate tends to be the default. That gets us to number two. Living by grace. No, I'm going to read this really slow because there's the tendency to look at it and be like, Jesus doesn't really mean what he says. Okay, so I'm going to go slow for those of us who are slow absorbers. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. But I say, that's the format, that's the template. Jesus always says that in these six illustrations. But I say, the Old Testament says, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. That's perfectly fine. That is acceptable. Here's the contrast. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, specifically in the then and there. What is happening when Jesus speaks this, whenever he's preaching the sermon, the then and there is Jews. Pray for the Romans. But Jesus, that doesn't make sense. What are we going to pray? That they be successful in conquering the Jews? What are we going to pray for? Jesus, you've lost your mind. This doesn't make any sense. What you are saying is unreasonable. Love your enemies? We should pray for those who persecute us? I'm pausing because you really have to absorb all of verse 44 before we proceed. Some of you are already reading ahead. This is the nuts and bolts. Verse, verse 44 is the, the big part. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Then he says... In the same way, as you love your enemies, as you pray for those who persecute you, you will be acting as a true, as true, true children, pardon me, of your Father in heaven. Instead of acting like uh, godless pagans, you'll be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. Do you see the contrast? I know some of you have already went running to the end and you're already, but Brent, I have good reason to hate my neighbor. Don't raise your hand, please. Just everybody just remain calm. He goes on. He says, for he, who is he here? God. Don't get lost in the pronouns. For God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. Hmm. And God, he, he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. It's like a brain trist twister. It's a brain trister. It's a tongue twister, too. God is good to bad people and good people? 
Yes. Verse 46. If you love only those you, who love you, pardon me, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt, corrupt tax collectors do that much. I mean, this really doesn't require a lot of commentary. I really could read the text and pray for you. Uh, but you know how I'm going to be. That's a tough text. That's a really high standard. We're going to see at the end, it's a standard of absolute perfection. Oh, love that. Now, if you remember back in chapter uh, previous in the chapter 5, verse 13. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I want you to listen very carefully. I've already taught through this. And so you should recall this. Where, uh, so so he, he, he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He says in verse 13, or he said in verse 13 back, he said, you, as Jesus is speaking to this group of people, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and trampled uh, underfoot as worthless? Verse 14, then he says, You are the light of the world, like a city on the top of a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way as salt and light, in the same way, let your good deeds... That would be loving your enemies and praying for those who abuse you. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Listen carefully. When you love your neighbor, so what? Even the tax collectors do that. That does not make you special. See, we have this habit of acting like, oh, I'm so special because I like people that like me. No, you're not special at all. <laughs> that does not set you apart. Loving your neighbor does not set you apart from the godless pagans. But when you genuinely love the person or the people who everyone knows is your enemy that is treating you bad... It is at this moment that your good deeds shine out for all to see. Isn't that incredible how God did that? It is at this moment that people recognize that you are living with a different mindset, a different philosophy. You are living in a different kingdom than they are. One of my pet peeves is uh, organized evangelism. I'm going to make somebody, I'm going to offend somebody, and then you're going to have to love me for it. <laughs> Pray for me. This is why I have a problem with organized uh, evangelism. The hazard of programmed evangelism is that while we are telling people about Jesus, we are failing to show them the kingdom life. We will push the gospel, but our light is under a bushel because we really don't love them. We just want to make them like us so that then we can love them. And that's not Jesus' command. 
You okay? I made some of you uncomfortable. Nobody cares about your God. They do care that you love them. And what sets you apart from everyone else and their God is that you love your enemies. People treat you bad and you bless them. Completely unreasonable by the standards of this world. Well, Brent, why, why would I love my enemies? Well, Jesus answers that there in the text. He says, for he, God, God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Here's the answer. The character of God is to bless those who do not deserve it. We all just had communion, right? You realize the reason we have communion is because we don't deserve salvation. So Jesus had to die in our place, right? The character of God is to bless those who do not deserve it. So the wicked farmer, he gets sunlight and he gets rain just like <clears throat> the church-going farmer. God is just good that way. That is the character of God. That is God's standard in the kingdom of heaven. And I think of the first part of Matthew where Jesus is saying, repent, change the way you're thinking because the kingdom of heaven is near. Something's about to change in your life and hopefully it's the way you see your enemies. What we typically think of as fair Jesus creatively reveals is a very low standard. He says, if you love only those who love you, which is kind of, I mean, that's the standard, right? If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. I think it's ironic that Matthew is the one saying this. He was a tax collector. He's very aware that even the stinking tax collectors love those who love them. He was one of them. He knows. The standard of the kingdom of heaven is way beyond this world. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I just want you to think for a moment about who this is in your life. Right? We, can't, we can't talk about this and not have some sort of application because it's easy to think about how other people should be applying this to their lives. But who is it that comes to your mind? Who is it, who is it that you need to uh, love? Who is it that you need to pray for? Now, I doubt that any of us have been asked by a Roman soldier to carry their gear this last week, but there's probably somebody that, that we need to love. I'm going to drink water while you guys think. Well, Brent, I don't really have any enemies. Maybe it's not an outright enemy. Maybe it's just a, you're a slightly, I hate to say it like that, but uh, maybe you're slightly offended at someone. Somebody, I've had people leave the church and I say, listen, I'm sorry I offended you. And they will say, I'm not offended. Well, then why are you leaving? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> not because they're moving away. Y'all are being extra quiet this morning. Maybe you're only slightly offended at someone. 
someone you just don't like right now for whatever reason, someone who rubs you wrong, that's the person that God says, love them, pray for them, pray for that person. That's the one that you need to be praying for is the person that you are not offended at but just don't like right now. How's that? I'm going to pick on Larry. I'll tell a story. I have, I have time for a story. Years ago, you guys remember, there was a cigarette outlet in the parking lot. We have the blast building over there now. And when we first moved in, this, this girl who's four foot nothing comes in. She's mad on Sunday morning because we parked in their spaces. None of the spaces out there were marked at all. So she was angry. And uh, she came in to yell at, well, she was going to yell at me specifically. And... Uh, the security team, a.k.a. my sister-in-law, caught her at the doors and told her, no, she's not going to yell. So, so then we have this meeting about, you know, what, how are we going to handle this? And I'm, I'm kind of like, just tell them, we, well, this is our parking lot, and they could park in the street. And I was kind of wound up. And Larry, that plays the bass, so you know who I'm talking about, he very politely says, well, I'll paint their spaces for them. So maybe Larry should be the pastor. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't ready to love them. I was not prepared to pray for them. I was not prepared to shine any light across the parking lot. I was ready to demand what was fair and what was right. And Larry was prepared to serve them. Good man. Verse 47, moving along. That was a long time ago. It was one time? Is that what you said? Just one time. Well, we get it right every once in a while. I, yeah, anyways, verse 47. I, I probably should have put this with the previous text, but it was just, anyways, it doesn't matter. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. I think we can relate to that. Verse 48, this is where it gets really good. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, Jesus is contrasting godless pagans and true children of the Father of the kingdom of heaven. That's the contrast. Pagans are nice to their friends. If you are only nice to your friends then please understand there is no light, there's no difference, there's no contrast between you and pagans. If you are only nice to your friends, there's no difference between you and pagans. If you and pagans act the same, you know where I'm going with this, right? then you probably are not a true child of the Father in heaven. I want to divert for a minute, but I'm not. I'm not. Okay? It's an evaluate your life. Do you hate the people around you? Oh, that's a problem. If the character of God is present in us, then we are prone to love our enemies and pray for those who abuse us. Verse 48, he says, but you, but you, but here's the contrast, but you, contrast with the pagans, but you are to be, everyone say it, 
perfect. Perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Yes, Christ has called us to be perfect. Now, I refer to this word every once in a while just because I think it's a great Greek word. Some, some Greek words don't care less about. Uh, but this one is teleos. And it's used, Paul uses it quite a bit in his writings. Teleos. It's uh, for perfect. Uh, it's entire, complete, because we think of perfect as just being, you know, per- right. <laughs> we think of perfect as being perfect, right? You understand what I'm saying? We think of it as being correct, like absolutely correct. But teleos is, is entire, that is completed. It is without spot or blemish or defect. Uh, it is genuine, and then it, it, it is mature. It's come to completion. It is done. It is finished and perfect. Make sense? It's not just perfect. It is perfect to completion. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to stick with that. Perfect to completion. Jesus says, you are to be perfect, complete, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Complete. That's a really high standard, right? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Jesus told us back in verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish, to fulfill, to bring maturity, to complete their purpose. Wow. In verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, he said, their righteousness is not perfect. And then he comes along in our text today and he says, you got to be perfect as God is perfect. He said, you got to be more righteous than the, than the Pharisees. If you're not more righteous than the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God did not give an imperfect sacrifice for our salvation. He gave the perfect lamb. Are y'all making the connection? God says you got to be perfect as Jesus says. You got to be perfect as God is perfect. And then God gave the perfect lamb for us. He did not provide for our salvation with the least possible effort. (laughs) Sometimes we talk about, there's, there's always this discussion in Christianity about how many times can I sin before I lose my salvation? And I say, why would you do the least for God whenever he's done the most for you? I don't think you understand the economy of God. God wants to come and you die so that he lives. And you're asking, how much do I get? You don't understand. You don't get anything of you. You get all of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that'll preach. God did not provide for our salvation with the least possible effort. God had a perfect plan to perfect the character of God. Are you following these words? These are big words. God had a perfect plan to perfect the character of God in you by making us Children of God, 
Because we read through this and we're like, oh, Brent, the standard of the Sermon on the Mount is so high. It is impossible. Yes, it is impossible. It's totally impossible. That's why we have to have a perfect lamb. We have to have a perfect God to offer a perfect sacrifice to perfect his character in you and I. We throw ourselves at the cross of Christ and say, Lord, I've got nothing but transform my heart so that I can love my enemies, so that I can pray for those who persecute me, so that I can genuinely care about them and not just do it Not just do it because it's a law, but do it because that's the character of God present in my life. Do you understand the difference? I am not in any way preaching work salvation. I am preaching salvation that causes you to do the unreasonable, that causes you to do the unreasonable, which is love your enemies. Jesus has called us to perfection or to maturity in himself, completion in himself. Immature people love to receive what they don't deserve. I don't know if you caught the first two letters of that sentence. Immature people love to receive what they don't deserve. Mature people love to give what is not deserved. We could stop and have an altar call. The immature person expects others to serve them. But the mature person looks for opportunities to serve others. Well, Brent, that's just not my spiritual gift. (laughs) That's not my calling. I don't know why you bother coming to church then. Go fishing. Go play golf. Take the boat out. There's so many other things to do on Sunday morning besides comes to church. Besides comes to church. If you don't want to serve God, if you don't want to reflect the character of God, then, then find something else to do, sweetheart. <laughs> While others are trying to figure out what is fair, the followers of Christ are just loving others. Man, that's, that's dissonance, isn't it? You know what I mean by dissonance? It just doesn't fit together. While others are trying to figure out what is fair, the followers of Christ are just loving others, praying for others, blessing others with the unreasonable grace that God has extended to them. God has not called us to an occasional act of grace. God has called you and I to shine the glory of his grace like an uncapped fire hydrant. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but it works. God has not called us to an occasional act of grace. God has called you and I to shine the glory of God's grace like an uncapped fire hydrant, soaking indiscriminately all those folks that God puts in our path. You get the picture? We have been given eternal life. So let's start living it. You follow? Because we like to talk about, oh, we have eternal life so we can live forever. Well, you have eternal life so you can live right now. You, you could start living for the glory of God today. Well, that's just... Right? 
Instead of being paralyzed by the things that Christians say that make me crazy because we have programmed evangelism instead of just lifestyle evangelism. Instead of being paralyzed by, well, who should I share my faith with? Who should I share my faith with? Or I'm waiting for God to lead me to that one person that I can share my faith with. I need, to, I need the Holy Spirit to, when, when the Holy Spirit gives me the right words, then I'll share my faith. Well, we just read, uh, Jesus already dealt with, the light has to do with good deeds, not words. So, so listen to me, and I say this with lots of love, okay? <laughs> just live. Really? Is it that simple? Yes. Live. Let God's grace Shape every aspect of your living and then live, live, live. Supernaturally loving the unlovable, praying for your abusers, being perfect, fulfilling all that God wants for his children. We don't have to second guess everything in life. We surrender ourselves to him, let his character be present in us, and then live. Well, I'm just not sure if we can. No, you're not sure because you're a lunatic. <laughs> and you got nothing. All we have is the Holy Spirit present in our lives to perfect the character of God in us. And so we just live. Well, then how do I know if I'm doing it right? Because you love your enemies and you pray for those that abuse you. Is it? Isn't there a higher standard? Isn't this more complicated? No, it's not complicated because God is the potter and you're just the clay. Oh, that's a great illustration. The clay says, I got to do better. The potter says, just lay there, dude. You're a lump. <laughs> it's a very encouraging message this morning. It is encouraging because we're just clay. We're just, we're just, you are just clay. Stop fussing about how great you're going to be. Surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you that God will do something glorious in you. And I know that that is true because this is what the true child of the Father of Heaven looks like. Jesus already told this. See, he set this up in the very beginning, and then he does these six illustrations, and then I, I love pulling it back together to Matthew chapter five, verse three. He says, God blesses those. So this is, this is what the children of the, the true children of the Father of Heaven look like. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. You wanna be blessed? Just recognize that you are poor and that you need him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Then he says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he ties it all together. He says, God blesses you 
when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. That is the character God blesses his character in his children. He does that. God puts his character in us. God graciously perfects his blessings in you. All we have to do is take those perfect blessings and just let them shine. 